0: We're going to be in Galatians 2. If you need a Bible, there's some guys that are walking around. They will give you some. Um, Galatians 2, everybody turn there. We're going to be in verses 1 through 16 today. So raise your hands high if you guys need a Bible. Um, We're going to be in it quite a bit today. And so maybe last time I had preached, it had been a little more thematic. I was trying to lead you to believe something, um, a truth that was um, supported in Scripture. This time, I'd really love to spend a lot of time in the Scripture. So... If you don't have a Bible, make sure to have that. Um, and we really believe that this is probably the most important part of the sermon. And so if I just sat here and read this, it'd be a great sermon because it's Paul. And so as much as possible, I want to read from this. Um, the less that I give you my ideas and the more that I just let God do his thing here, um, I think the better you guys will the better you guys will learn from the Bible and the better the sermon will be. So with that, um, here is... Galatians 2, we're going to do 1 through 16. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure that I was not running or had run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. "'Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in "'who slipped in to spy out our freedom "'that we have in Jesus Christ "'so that they must bring us into slavery, "'to them we did not yield in submission "'even for a moment, "'so that the truth of the gospel "'might be preserved for you. "'And from those who seemed influential, "'what they were makes no difference to me. "'God shows no partiality. "'Those, I say, who seemed influential "'added nothing to me. "'On the contrary,' But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves by birth are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also we have believed in Jesus Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, but because of the works of the law no one will be justified. I pray that God will speak through this. And this won't just be a message on my heart, but what I've been prepping for this long, what God's been preparing through me will be spoken through me to you guys here. So a little bit of context for this passage. The Apostle Paul was originally a Jewish leader um, who comes to Christ. And so um, he's off killing Christians, as it is, and then God saves him. And so he gets converted, starts planting churches, and one of his churches was in Galatia. And he plants a church And then he leaves only to hear that they're under attack by some false preaching. And they're being influenced by the Judaizers. Or in other words, people who are trying to add being a Jew to being a Christian. And so Paul doesn't like this very much. Um, He writes this letter to the Galatians, one, to chew them out, saying, I just left you and you're already believing false things. You're already getting yourselves into trouble. Um, And two, he wants to reorient their focus on the gospel. And so so we're going to see something very interesting today. Um, not only is he teaching his Galatian people about false gospels and, you know calling them away from that, but also the apostles of Jesus Christ were ones that fell to this, too. And so here in Galatians we see um, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, used as an agent of reconciliation and change, such that the apostles were challenged and the apostles were corrected in the midst of this. So today I want to focus your attention on a specific truth, a specific reality that we see in this text, and that's this. The gospel resolves irreconcilable differences and turns them into unstoppable forces for his glory. And today I think we see this in three ways. Through a radical challenge of the status quo, through a unification of the church, and through a confrontation of community. mouth gets dry real fast. So first, we see this through a radical challenge of the status quo. Up to this point, being a Christian was still kind of a Jewish thing. Um, it was still kind of an expansion of Jewish beliefs, so really only Jewish people were becoming Christians. So those of us who aren't Jews here, we'd be out of luck. Then Paul comes to the faith and recognizes something's missing. He sees that Jesus didn't just come to save Jewish people. He came to save everyone. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So Paul hears this and calls and starts to minister to Gentiles. He ministers to the everyone else of the world. Now let me explain why you're not up in arms about this right now, why you guys aren't completely appalled that non-Jews are not Christians. So being a Jew was a big deal. They were the superior chosen race of God. It was their doctrine and their belief that they were the ones going to heaven and everyone else who was a Gentile or quite literally, the sinners, the other people, were not. And so if you weren't a Jew, you weren't going to heaven. You were unclean, and because of that, you were to be avoided. And if that sounds like ethnic prejudice and superiority, it was. So what's Paul doing here? What's Paul doing by challenging the status quo of the Jewish traditions? He's letting one else into this this kingdom, he's letting else into the country club. What he's doing in the Jews' eyes is he's going rogue and preaching the gospel to these sinners, and he's bringing all the outsiders in. And at the time, in the Jewish tradition, this would have been complete heresy. This would have been against the law. This would have been uprooting of their faith. But look how the apostles react. Verse 2, I presented them with the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. Then in verse 6, he says, they added nothing to me. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just had Peter had been called to, to, to the circumcised. They accepted him. Yes, your teaching is in line with the gospel, so thousands of years of Jewish tradition, thousands of years of ethnic segregation and superiority, shattered by the gospel. It took the beliefs of the Jews that were held for centuries and it flipped them on its head. It infiltrated the most diverse church that the world has ever seen. And in so doing, we see a really, really beautiful thing here in Galatians. And that the gospel of Jesus Christ that these apostles are preaching is the greatest agent of ethnic and racial reconciliation that the world has or ever will know. It's a beautiful thing here. You want to know why Africa and America and Asia are full of Christians right now? Galatians 2. Galatians 2. Right here, thousands of years of irreconcilable differences between Jews and Gentiles were solved by the gospel of Christ through Paul's preaching and teaching in Galatians and his challenge of the Jewish status quo. Notice a couple of things about this. Peter and the apostles weren't sinning with the way they were doing it. It wasn't a bad thing what they were doing. They were fulfilling God's mission to the Jews. That's a good thing. But in their own way of doing things, in their own limited perspective, they just weren't able to see the bigger picture. I want you to notice one other thing. Paul doesn't come to them in arrogance just to force his view on them. Um, But rather, he comes to them to confirm what he is doing is in line with the truth. He says, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. He's doing this because he loves the work of Christ and he wants to see it grow. He's not challenging the work of Christ. He's supporting it. And so, here's what this means for us as a church. I think we are radically loyal to the gospel and we are radically humble with our own perspective. First, we're radically loyal to the gospel, and that means that we are not radically loyal to a lot of other stuff. Um, As a church, we're going to defer on a lot of lesser important issues that might have otherwise split or divided churches in the past. Um, So notice Paul doesn't come and complain about what instruments that they're using in worship. Right, he doesn't come with them with what the dress code is, or what color the carpets should be, or how fast the fans should be spinning. All right, he comes to them with a burning desire to expand the kingdom of God, and that's important, right? Likewise, we should be radically loyal, radically loyal to something. If we're going to be radically loyal to something, if we're going to die on a hill for something, we want it to be nothing less than the saving work of Christ and the growth of His kingdom. That's what we want to be all about. And this means we're going to be open-handed about a lot of lesser issues that don't match up to that. Um, it means that this second one that I'm going to say is really, really important, and that's we are radically humble with our own perspective of things. We continue to believe that we are fallen sinners who are saved by nothing more than God's grace, and that gives us no room to be prideful. or we're No room to be prideful about what we think we know about. We want to be humble with our own perspective. Let me be a little bit more straightforward with this. Your way is not the way. And, ugh, I, I know that stings, but before you get all up in arms and give me the structured basis of your beliefs, let me ask you something. Is it possible that you're wrong? Is it possible that our logic is flawed and that our emotions have led us to believe something that isn't 100% true and that the way you do things isn't necessarily the best way? Like, that, if that burns right now, I'm with you. Like, I don't want to think that. But I'm not going to say that this is a possible thing. I'm going to say this is probable. And here's why. The apostles of Jesus Christ didn't see the bigger picture in their ministry until God sent Paul to show them. Original followers of Jesus Christ walked with him in his ministry, talked with him, walked with him in the garden, were with him up until his death. And yet, see how they responded. Well, they didn't even get it. They didn't get it together until they responded to Paul's call to expand the kingdom. Thousands of years of Jewish tradition and they accepted it. So the gospel allows us to compromise on the little things because we know we've been redeemed in the major things by a God who is beyond our own understanding. We, we get to compromise on these little things. We don't make a big deal of these little things because we know in the most important part of our souls we've been redeemed by God and a God who is bigger than anything we can understand. And so anything else that we have is just going to be pride coming out in community. Um, There are things that we want to be important for. I've got like 18 quotes of Tim Keller that I could whip out right now, Um, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to keep moving forward. But if you want to know more about this, look up him. He's a great guy. Um, But next, next point. We see unstoppable forces for God's glory created through the unification of God's church. The unification of God's church. Verse 9, James Cephas, that's Peter, And John, those who seemed pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace that was given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and them to the circumcised. All they asked is that we would remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. First off, this is extremely crazy. Like, we talked about how radical this is. Peter, James, and John, original apostles of Jesus Christ, meeting head-to-head with this rogue, posthumous apostle of Jesus Christ that comes into town, adding things to their game plan, and they actually agree with him. So much so that they organize and set up a new game plan to include it. Like, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's insane. That's, that's not expected of a reaction. Uh, but notice what they do. Notice their first reaction when they are expanding is they send. They deploy. They don't sit around. They go out and they mobilize for the kingdom. They say, okay, I'm going to go to the Gentiles, and then you guys are going to go to the Jews. Like, go. And they plan this out. They strategize that. So this is... Not only really unexpected um, and really awesome, but it is really cool. It's the best team up in the history of the world. It's the dream team of the apostles, which is funny to say, considering how much they all screwed up, but these are the mighty men of God that build the framework for the entire church around the world. Paul and the apostles on the same page. And the development of these, deployment of these apostles was so powerful such that we're still seeing the effects of this today on a global level, on a city level, and right here in Connection Church. We're still seeing the effects of these guys' um, spread. And the first sign of this is that we're here right now, and I don't know how many Jews are in the room, but I'm not one of them, so that's pretty awesome. But like I talked about, like globally we see this. We see churches of different nationalities, God's being word, God's word being translated into different languages, tribes hearing good news for the first time. We see this around the world. And so as a church, this is something we want to see grow. Um, Each year, this young church plant gives 25% of its offering to supporting the church plants around this nation and around the world. Now, I know that sounds crazy. Um, You might say 25%, you guys aren't really that big yet. Ouch, that hurts. Yeah, it does. All right, It definitely doesn't help the spreadsheet at the end of the year. Uh, But when Jesus commands us to make disciples of the nations, as well as his call to give sacrificially, we take that extremely seriously. We want to see this thing grow such that we're going to put our money where our mouth is, and this church plant, by your guys' support, builds churches in other countries and around America. So that's really exciting. I'm excited to be a part of it. But around the world, there are countries on fire for God's word right now who are eager to see the kingdom grow. Um, We were at a conference a couple years back, and I met a guy from Africa. He has a ministry here in Africa. His name was Henry Henry. I remember specifically, I lost the group of guys we were with, and I met Henry. He's an African guy. He's in South Sudan. War zone. Complete war zone. If you guys know anything about South Sudan, it's like a civil war there right now. His ministry was building bamboo bikes, riding them into the war zone, rescuing fugitives, bringing them out to safety, and then preaching the gospel to them, building churches. Like, let's get excited about that. Let's support that. Let's I wanna I wanna get involved with that guy. And so when I talk to him, he was like, Yeah, I'm part of a church plan here in Sioux Falls and yeah, we're pretty cool, you know, we meet in an elementary school at the time and you know, what are you all about? And he goes, oh, I'm just in Africa in, in South Sudan. I was like, Yeah, it's kind of a war zone there, right? He's like, Oh yep, 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 had to dodge bullets before. And it was insane. Let's be a people that are excited about that. Let's be a people that are excited about here. But again, it's not just things that are happening across the world, God's working through churches right here in the city of Sioux Falls. We don't have to go to a war zone in Africa to see that there's lost people in need. We got one right here. So our prayer is that every church in Sioux Falls and the surrounding area would preach the same gospel so that everyone in Sioux Falls would hear the gospel and the message of hope that is being preached here, that is being preached in Africa, the unified structure and the unified gospel of the church. We pray that would be true of every church, which means we don't want to knock on other churches. We want to support them as best we can and pray that God would speak through them and to the people his gospel that is changing the lives. So let me pose it this way. Um, Last last week, we had talked about, you know, Jonathan leaving, and I talked to a couple guys, and they were like, oh, you're going you're gonna to preach, like, that's pretty crazy. And I actually thought, I was like, wow, it is, like, <laughs> this, is, this is crazy. And they said, well, it's okay, you know, you got a good church. Um, what makes Connection Church special, though? This is a, this is a challenge, right? If we want to see the effects of this unity, we need unity in our own church, To which the most important question is, what are we unified on? What do we rally around? Again, what makes Connection Church special? A lot of things might come to mind right now. It's the community, right? We've got great community. It's the people. They actually care about you. It's the sermons. Man, Jonathan gets up here and he preaches it. All of those are great things. But those are things that identify us? Like, are those really the things that come to us and and say, like, that is Connection Church? Or are those the fruits of having our identity in something greater than people and preaching? I hope so. I hope the thing that unifies us is a truth that is ageless, transformative, and soul-satisfying, more so than just our personalities in the room. And I hope that we are defined as a group of people who are fiercely loyal to the teaching and preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the sake of our city and for the glory of God. Because as soon as we stray from that, we start looking like the very type of church that people love to hate. And here's what I mean. Impersonable, clicky, fake. People come to church and they say, what about other churches? You know what churches you've been to? Ah, it was just impersonable. It was clicky. It was fake. You don't think that can happen to this church? It already is. It already is. We're a growing church. And so we're not always going to be the really, really tight-knit group of people that are always knowing each other and always going out to eat with each other. The days of fitting everyone in a basement are long gone, right? Like, we're packing out a comedy club now. Um, we can't fit everyone around a table of Jackie's comfortably, and if everybody tried, I think the whole place would probably shut down. They couldn't handle it all. Not everybody can meet Jazz Turzik the first time they come to Connection Church, right? There was a time where that was true, and that's a good thing. Like, you should meet him. If you haven't met him, you should meet him. Good dude. Okay, so what happens? What happens now, right? Like, somebody doesn't get noticed because we're too big. Now we're impersonal. Now, now we're that church because we're just too big. What if, what if you say, I love the sermons. Man, Jonathan preaches. What if he gets stuck on a Disney cruise and I have to preach? Right? Like, if we are found, our root, our unification is found on anything but the gospel. Man, we're going to get it wrong for a long time. We got to root ourselves. We got to unify ourselves around something that we can aim for that's going to last a long time. Like, you don't think we can get clicky? We already are. How do I know this? Because we're insecure human beings. We're a room full of insecure human beings who tend to stick around people we're comfortable with, who are more fun to be around because it's safe, right? Like that's what happens with people. And again, I'm, I'm one of these people, I'm part of your guys' church. But that's why. All of this becomes ultimately unsatisfying unless we rally around something that is greater than social acceptance, unless it's something more than just a table at lunch, unless we're defined by the work of Christ in our lives, then all the things that we love about this church, they're just perks. They're just awesome perks compared to the eternal joy that these people have and that they unify around. Like, Let's be about that. So if we say this, and this is something I'm going to steal probably from Jonathan, if you aim for community, you miss. Every single time. If we try to be a good community, you're going to miss. If you aim for the gospel, you get community. You start seeing people sacrifice for each other because they have been sacrificed. Like the Jesus sacrificed for them. So if you aim for community, you miss. If you aim for the gospel, you get community. Lastly, what do these guys agree to be unified on? The poor. So we see this in Galatians. It, church gets going, um, Gentiles are accepted, and what, what do they want to make sure they take care of here? The poor. So as I'm driving here today, and as I drive downtown every single week, um, I'm all on 10th Street, and so you guys know the Lucky Lady area of town? You, know, you guys probably have probably seen it. You guys have probably been a little scared driving through it. are like, oh, geez. You see people, and every week I see people um, sitting on the sidewalks, um, sitting in parking lots, and, and I always wonder, um, you know, what are their lives like? What are, what are they doing with their lives, you know? And then as I do this, it's being worn on me, worn on me. I drive by and there's a bunch of them sitting across the curb. I just wanna stop and I wanna say something. Um, I never do, right? I never do, there's, there's broken, poor people, and I don't wanna do that because I've got dreams to fulfill. I've got a meeting to go to, right? And I got work to do. I got, I got, I got a career to satisfy. I got companies. We got to build cool stuff. And these people are sitting on the sidewalk, waiting, right? Hungry souls waiting for something. Um, and the other day, man, this bout broke. This is where I think the Lord really, really started to break me. I drove by, and there was a guy um, laying belly up on the on the sidewalk, and there was an ambulance there, and they're they're lifting him up. And they're getting him on a stretcher, and he can't even, he's too drunk, he can't even support himself um, with the weight. And um, so thank God there's an ambulance there. Thank God that the fireman came up and took care of him. Um, I'm sure they're going to pop an IV, they're going to sober him up, um, but these people need more than just an IV and a sober ambulance, right? And I'm not there to give it to him. I'm not there because I've got so much to do, I don't really care about him. So um, I'm just trying to follow this example that I see in here that it was pretty important to the apostles to take care of these poor people, so it should be important to me. And I want to encourage you guys, it should be extremely important to you guys. Um, but I pray that when we see a person like this, we gotta, we got to resist the temptation to look at it and see them as lives of people of mistakes or an economic liability, but as a human being with a soul who needs help. I hope that we, when we see poor people around Sioux Falls, see a reflection of ourselves in our own helpless state before God reached out and saved us. And I hope that that drives you to do the same for them. And when the opportunity comes up, I hope you give them nothing less than the living water of Christ. Don't just fill their bellies with water. Don't just take them out to eat. They need more than just an IV. They need the good news of Jesus Christ for their souls. Let's be unified around this, guys, and let's kick each other in the pants when I don't do this. I need this. So let's move on to the last point, guys. Lastly, we see a confrontation in community. We see a very, very strong confrontation in community. So verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. What do you think of that? Like, is this good? Is this bad? Like, Is this how we're supposed to handle conflict? Like, wow, this is really uncomfortable. But how you react to this is reflective of how you handle conflict and how you view that. So some of you in the room are probably like, yes, like, absolutely, just stick it to them, right? Like, you need to tell people exactly what they need to hear, and you need to not apologize for it. You would be the confronters of the room. Um, And the other half might be like, oh, my goodness, that's really uncomfortable. You should never do that. That's embarrassing, don't ever do that. And your tendency is probably to avoid conflict, right? So what do we make of this? Like, what's the what's the truth in this? How is this how we're supposed to confront one another? Because it could get confusing if you don't read it. The answer lies in Paul's example for us. And to find it, we're gonna look at three things of that passage. Three things of the confrontation that Peter that Paul has for Peter. We're gonna look at the cause of the confrontation. We're going to look at the nature of his confrontation and we're going to look at the motive of the confrontation. Three things that we can look at. We can pull from the text from Paul to see what this is about. So first, the cause of the confrontation, what happened here? There's meals that Peter and Paul were having with Jews and Gentiles and they're mixed up. And remember, that's okay now. Jews and Gentiles can eat now. They've, they've agreed that this is an okay thing. And Peter would have no problem eating with Gentiles. He would eat with them until certain men came. And then he would pull back and only sit with the Jewish people. This is like lunchroom drama here, all right? He just got done saying that Gentiles are included in the kingdom of heaven, and then he avoids them when the leaders come around so they don't think bad of him. He's being hypocritical. But Peter wasn't just being guilty of being a hypocrite. As an influential leader, he was leading the rest of the Jewish Christians astray too. It says even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas was Paul's right-hand man, and Peter was leading him in the wrong direction. Paul's going to do about something that, right? Because Paul and Barnabas are really tight, so he's going to confront that. So what is he confronting? The apostle Peter is being a hypocrite, and he's leading others astray. Next, what's the nature of this conflict? Like, how does it go? Think of this as the what, how, and why. What's the nature of the conflict? Obviously, Paul's really upfront, To his face, right? I opposed him to his face. That doesn't exactly paint a picture of being coy and subtle. Of course, nobody ever accused Paul of being coy and subtle. He's a very straightforward person. But what else do we see? Look at verse 14. I said to Cephas before them all, before them all, the nature of this confrontation was public. The confrontation and the nature of it matches the setting and the influence of the problem, all right? And so Peter was publicly influencing people to believe something that was counter, that wasn't true of the gospel, and he was influencing other people to do so. And so if you're in a group of people and somebody is trying to talk to you about how, you know, I don't know, something, something Hitler is actually the Jesus Christ and only white people should go. Like, hopefully somebody stands up and says that's not true, all right? So the nature of Peter influencing other people merited what it was. Now, you've got to be careful with this one, all right? you got to be extremely careful, and here's why. We're currently led by a culture that is starting to tell us it's okay, even profitable, to say exactly what you want, when you want, front of, in front of as many people as you want. In fact, the more people you speak your mind to, the better, and the more popular you are. If you don't believe me, right? you, you question that, we just elected a reality TV star as our commander-in-chief. Who is famous for firing people on live television and tweeting his mind to millions of people, right? I'm not saying this to be political at all. I'm not taking a political stance, but I am saying there's something interesting. There's something influencing Americans to value a form of brash honesty, such that we made the man who does it best our president. So just notice that there's there's a cultural push here to really really stick it to someone and that's probably not what we're supposed to be reading out of this text so be careful resist that temptation to look and say yes call each other out um and that leads us to the most important part paul's motive in this what is his motive why did he do this like what's the reason that he confronted him and this is where i think we as a church can best gauge if this is something that needs to happen in the life of our church If we read this correctly, we see Paul has two things that motivate him to confront and should serve as a roadmap for our own conflicts. And that's a love for his people and a love for the gospel. We see both of those here in the sermon. A love for his people and, more importantly, a love for the gospel. First, Paul's confrontation of Peter is reflective of his care for the people that he is around. They're in Antioch, which is one of Paul's missionary bases. For those who don't know, um, Paul was a missionary, and for a number of years, he made Antioch his base, meaning that these are people he'd probably been personally investing in for a long time now. And not just people, one of his best friends, Barnabas, was being laid astray. Like we said before, like even Barnabas was laying, being led astray. So Paul really cares about the people that he is speaking to, the people that is being affected by Peter. I think we should be no different. When considering whether or not you want to confront someone about something, I want you to consider one thing. Do you love the person that you are confronting? Like, do you actually care about their well-being and growth? Do you want to see them grow for their benefit, or is this just something else underneath? Is this just pride coming out in a really brash, aggressive way so that you can feel good? Like, what is it? What's the reason that we're doing this? Like, do you love the other person that you're confronting? 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in tongues of men of angels, but do not have love for them, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing, it says. If I give all I possess to the poor, give all my body to hardship that I may boast, but don't have love, I gain nothing. If you don't have a love and care for the heart and soul of the person you're confronting or or the people around them at least, then you have no right to tell them what you think they ought to know. Litmus test is this. Right? Like, okay, okay, well how do I how do I know if this it's is it easy to be confrontational with someone? Like, specifically with people you know, do you feel a sense of satisfaction and even comfort when you really speak your mind to them? When you really stick it to somebody, does that make you satisfied? Or does it kind of pain you to say hard truths to people? if it doesn't you might not be speaking the truth in love you might just be protecting the truth of your own insecurities on the flip side all right on the flip side does it paralyze you to tell someone that's har- something that's hard to hear that might actually help them if you tell them right do you find yourself having something really formative to say to a friend but you avoid it because they might not like you if you do if so you might not be truly loving and caring for people. You might just be loving and caring for their approval of you. So, lastly, healthy confrontation comes from a true and genuine love for the gospel. Paul makes it clear. I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. He's doing this because he loves the good news and wants it to be preserved for people so they hear the right things and they grow in the right way. Let us have no other motive but that a love for the gospel, let's not have any other motive besides when we consider calling somebody out on something, let it be out of a care and consideration for that person's eternity. Let's model Paul's boldness here and let's be people who defend the gospel so boldly that we're even willing to sacrifice each other's approval for it. So how do we wrap this up? Like We see these three things here. Um, we see a radical challenge of the status quo, unification, confrontation, and community. How do we wrap this up? How do we respond to Galatians 2? I think we tend to do two things here. Um, there's t- two different ways that you might be pulled to react here. The first is kind of if you're a church, like if you've been going to church for a long time, I'd say like it's the church response, and that's like, yes, let's do this. Like, thanks, like it's a good message. All right, radical. We got to challenge the status quo. Thank God for that. We got to unify. We got to go out. We got to do things. We got to confront each other. I'm glad for this. Thanks for the pep talk, Andy. But what happens after we resolve for that? Like, what happens if I stand before you and just give you a laundry list of things to do? Go take a nap this afternoon, and we'll get to it later. Never happens, right? Like the good advice that I could give you in this sermon, if I could just say, "All right, we can see this, and we got to unify," and I'm going to give you guys a nice pep talk, and it never usually happens. And so, on the other side, right? That's that's the church going answer, if you will. I mean, I've raised in the church, and so I'm very prone to read the Bible as a to-do list of things that I can do to earn God's favor, but there's something else. There's, there's something else coming here. You might say, as an American, there's pulls culturally on you, too. And so you may say, ah, yes, like, thanks, Andy, this confirms my cultural values. This is exactly what I wanted to hear. This confirms everything I know. Diversity, teamwork, feeding the poor, straightforwardness. This is what we need to do. We, we, need, to, we need to do this. I, I knew our American values. This is what I'm calling our cultural reality. And here's what I mean by that. Our culture has stolen, abused, and manipulated things that reflect biblical values and even sound really nice and fluffy on the outside, but in and of themselves, they have no real value by themselves. All right, let me give you some examples of this. Um, and you tell me if this sounds familiar, if this is what we're being taught. Teamwork makes the dream work. Always give to those who are less fortunate, you gotta fight for diversity. Like those are great values, right? Only within the explicit reason or cause that they serve. And I wanna argue something today that these points or reflect values that only the gospel can truly uphold. Teamwork makes the dream work, that type of thing only the gospel truly gives a cause and a reason to believe in those things that is truly going to last so let's let's just quickly take a look at these teamwork make the, makes the dream work right or in today's words collaboration that's a really really good buzzword now if we just work together we just create synergy right we just we just all of our energies together will achieve all of our goals what's the what about this there's always that one guy who goes rogue for selfish game. There's always the guy in the game that tries to do the slam dunk and teamwork's out the window, right? He does it for his own sake. Or diversity, That's a, it's a good value. We're being taught, however, by our culture to fight for diversity without a real cause or reason for it. It's just diversity for the sake of diversity. Why? Why are we supposed to fight for that? Well, Because uh, people are awesome, I guess, right? but you know that's not true in your heart because people do bad things to each other. Like You know in your heart that there's something bigger at stake here. Like Diversity plays a bigger role in something other than just diversity for the sake of diversity. There's there's something big here. And the same for feeding the poor. In the pit of your soul, you know it's a good thing to feed the poor. You know it, and yet you don't do it. You pass a person every single day and we don't do it. Could it be that we have the wrong motivation for wanting to do it? We're not truly seeing the right reasons for this kind of thing. And you might say, all right, Andy, that's fine. You, you just undercut all these values. You just yelled at us for a half hour. Now, what's your answer? Like, what, What's your answer to all these things? Like, How are we going to wrap this up, Andy? What's your great news? I'm glad you guys asked. Today... I want to compel you to believe in something greater than just good news and great advice, something more than just good advice and vague adages that our culture feeds us. Today, I want to give you good news to leave here with. The only reason that the disciples did any of this stuff, fed the poor, joined forces, diversified the church, is because Jesus Christ did it first. Jesus challenged our status quo by including us into his kingdom when we were headed in the wrong direction. Jesus unified a church by ushering a diverse new kingdom in which every tribe and nation could see the freedom and power of his name. Jesus boldly confronted the innermost idols of people so they could be free of the idols and follow him, the only truest source of true joy and comfort in the world. Here's what we see. Jesus resolves irreconcilable differences between a perfect and holy God and a sinful people and turns them, the people, into unstoppable forces for his glory. This is the good news, that we have something so much better than empty adages and goodwill testaments that our culture feeds us. And this changes everything. It changes our viewpoints. It changes the way we serve one another. It changes the way we work together. It changes the way we confront one another. Don't you guys see the only reason we can be upfront and honest with each other and not rip each other's heads off is because he was upfront and honest with us and it saved our souls. And the reason that you get to spend time with someone who isn't fun and spend time with somebody who makes you uncomfortable is because your ultimate joy and comfort doesn't come from community, it comes from Christ. The only reason that the apostles could accept an entire race of human beings into their ministry is because Jesus accepted them into his first. Like, don't you see, when you aim for teamwork, it fails as soon as somebody slam dunks. Somebody slam dunks, it's done. But when we set our sights on the gospel, you get a united community of diverse people who are serving and loving one another because they were loved and served first. When you fight for diversity, purely for the sake of diversity, you get a a movement that's confused with a vague goal. When you see diversity as a beautiful display of God's creation unified under the cause of Christ despite different languages, despite different cultures and despite different skin colors, you get excited and you want to join hands and you want to support it. You have a reason to support it. The only way that poor people will ever truly be saved from their circumstances is not just by being fed food and water, but by knowing that their safety and portion comes not just from bread and water alone from the living water of Christ, given to them freely for their entire eternity. This is the gospel that we preach. This is the good news that we want to be rallied around, and this is what Paul and the Galatians are preaching about. This is what we want to be about. Let us not, friends, let's not read this passage with resolution and a to-do list of things to do. Let us read this passage with praise that a God so great and so powerful would choose to come down and show us his mercy because we wouldn't resolve to do these things ourselves. May this be the prayer of our hearts and may this be the words of good news that we speak together in Connection Church. I pray for us real quick. I'll have the band come up. God, thank you so much for your work in, in Paul. We thank you so much for the example we thank you for um, speaking this word to us in the Bible, that we can read it. We know that although we resolve to do these things, we, we fall short every week. Just saturate us with this good news that you've given us. Make Connection Church, uh, not a church that is centered around things that we would um, like to see and things that are faded, but Lord, give us the holy, holy gospel of your, your word. We thank you so much for sending your son in to challenge our own status quo and for changing the, changing the church for your glory and including people. Um, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity to speak today. Um, I ask that this would penetrate our hearts and that we would not just leave the scriptures after this, but that we would dig in more. I would ask that the people in this room and myself would desire to dig into this more, that we would want more of this, that you would feed us this. Um, and through this would be the fruit of your good word and your gospel. I'm going to pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, I want to invite our uh, ushers to come forward and take that offering. And again, for our guests, we, we uh, don't encourage you to participate in the offering, but if you would drop that card in for us.